I think we focus more on our experiences than spending money to have things in our life. So it's really important for me and my family to travel locally, explore different sites and nature, and really focus on spending time together and away from material things. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and this is your space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. And in this episode, I chat with Andrew Warwick, a nationally recognized consumer and money-saving expert who's appeared in places like NBC's Today Show, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, Fox and Friends, and ABC News with Diane Sawyer. We chat about her story of going through infertility treatments and how she's had to advocate for herself when it came to dealing with her health insurance company. We also dive into what someone can do when it comes to the emotions of working through infertility and really how to manage your finances during this troubling time. This episode is brought to you by Fabric, a one-stop shop to organize your family's financial life. They have a few neat features. Fabric Will is a free way to create a last will and testament that has been used by tens of thousands of families. I personally tried it out and it's a pretty straightforward process. There's also Fabric Vault, a free and easy way for spouses and partners to create a map of their family's finances and securely share this information with each other. So think like credit card information and account logins. They also offer Fabric Premium, a simple and affordable term life insurance issued by Vantis Life. To find out more and get started by creating a free account for both Fabric Wills and Fabric Vault, head over to www.meetfabric.com. And to find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. And just for listeners, it might be a bit of a trigger warning if this is a can be a sensitive issue to some. So if this is something that you don't feel comfortable listening, feel free to listen to the other episodes. But I think this is a very important one. Quite a few of you reached out to me about fertility issues and finances and how all that mingles together. So you spoke and I'm listening. So Andrea is on to speak a little bit about her experience. So bring us back to the beginning of this journey. So what led you to the decision of going through the fertility treatments? Well, yes. So first of all, definitely such an important topic to discuss. So many women are dealing with this and feel almost a fear or shame to discuss it, but it shouldn't be. And that's why I'm so excited to talk about my experience is hopefully helping other women. So going back to my journey, I married, I got married in 2013. I was 32 years old when I got married. And I had just this thought in the back of my head, like I better kind of get moving here because I know time is not on my side. So although it would have been, although we wanted to be married maybe for a couple of years before having kids, I just thought, you know, let's just get started because I know it could take up to a year. A lot of online articles say that you could better take to get pregnant naturally. And so I didn't want to put the pressure on myself. And so we kind of just started trying a few months after getting married in 2013. Well, after six months of nothing happening and tracking my cycle and starting to get frustrated and upset with, with, you know, no positive pregnancy tests, 
I thought, you know, let's go and just get tested. I had heard from other people that sometimes it could be a male factor issue that is easy to fix. So it's always a good idea to just be proactive. That's just the type of person I am. So instead of just waiting around, I wanted to be a little bit proactive because obviously the talk was the clock was ticking for me. And so we went and saw a local fertility expert, did some tests, um, both for the male and on the female side. They have some standard tests that they do. And it was determined that my husband suffered from severe male infertility. I can go into all those details if you'd like, but basically our doctor called us and told us, you know, I was so, it was so unexpected. I remember I was in Chicago at the time visiting my grandmother who was ill. And then I got this phone call. So I think I was already on this emotional journey with my family. And the doctor said, well, we got some results for you. And basically your only chance at conceiving is going to be IVF, which is not anything I ever thought I would have to face. And I think both my husband and I just looked at each other. We both broke down and started crying. Like, what? We don't even know what this means. What is IVF? How much is this going to cost? Are we ever even going to have kids? Those were all the things that were running through our heads at the time. And also for my husband, I felt so bad because he just felt, you know, it was all his fault. And obviously, it's just nature. It's nothing that you can control. So we, you know, started to then ask questions. And we, you know, one thing that I was confused about was, why is this doctor telling me that our only option is IVF? If my husband is suffering from something, isn't there something that we could do to help improve his um, you know, sperm counter motility or morphology? These are all the technical terms that I was learning during this time. And what we then decided to do was get second opinion. So we went down to LA. We went and saw a male infertility doctor, a urologist who specialized in male infertility. Then we saw another fertility expert at UCLA. And it, it was a bunch of mixed messaging. Basically, we were told we could either do a surgery for my husband or just go right to IVF because the chances of getting pregnant would be faster than having to wait for the surgery to have positive effects and that it might not really be successful. So, you know, long story short, it does get a little bit complicated. We went through IVF. It was unsuccessful. Actually, I did get a positive pregnancy test, was so excited. And then a week later, found out that I had lost it. That was obviously very devastating. Went through a couple more rounds of trying to transfer frozen embryos. That was unsuccessful. In the interim, we then decided, well, let's just go and try to get the surgery. We have nothing else to lose at this point. And luckily, six months after that, we got pregnant naturally. So it was, it took us two years to get pregnant. And I can go into all the details of how that finally worked, but it was an emotional journey, a very complicated financial journey. And, you know, there was a lot of issues that my husband and I dealt with because it put a big strain on our relationship. And I'd be happy to discuss any of these in further detail. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much to dig into. So Let's start with the the finances and then we can definitely talk about the, the relationship stuff because I'm I'm sure many out there are looking to to hopefully share a similar story or find comfort in yours. So yeah, break down some of the costs. I mean, you went through IV. I mean, there were a bunch of procedures that you went through. So yes. are they covered by insurance? Like like how does all that work? So unfortunately in California, it is not. In fact, there is a law in California that says that insurance companies don't have to offer IVF treatment um, support. So 
that was really disappointing, especially considering that there has been headway in other states across the country where companies are mandated to offer IVF. And those um, states include Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, Illinois, Hawaii, and Arkansas. I had done a lot of research, so that's why I know this. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, in California, that was not the case. But when you want to have a child, you know, you kind of look at it as a priceless moment. And I didn't really know much about the cost. I knew it was expensive. And at the time, I was just focused on, you know, I want to have a child as fast as possible. So I'm going to go to where I think they are the best. UCLA, you know, this, this is going to be the top doctor to work with and get results fast. The problem was, one, I didn't understand how medical billing would, you know, how it would all roll out. I didn't really understand the total cost. And I didn't, I don't think that they were really that great at helping guide me through it. So one thing that I learned working with a hospital was that it was really confusing because they have billing departments, different billing for each department. So I would get a bill for the doctor services, then I would get bill for the hospital services, and then I would get a bill for their diagnostic services. And this makes it really hard to understand what the total cost is and really complicated when you start receiving bills for different things and different dates that are out of order. You can't really under, like remember what you've got done and what could be an error. And you know, I, I spent hours scrutinizing bills on the phone with insurance company and the billing department. I found small errors, maybe an, an extra charge for you know an office visit for 60 bucks. That might not sound like a lot in the grand scheme of the total cost I paid, which was almost $30,000. But you know, at that point, I, I don't want to overpay on something that I didn't receive a service I didn't receive. So, you know, things got really complicated. So not only did you have to pay for, you know, the actual egg retrieval and and all that, but there were diagnostic tests I had to do. I had to get a surgery just to make sure that there were no polyps that could prevent or hinder the procedure. And then there were follow-ups. There were and not to mention I live in Bakersfield. LA is over two hour drive for me with traffic. So not only is my time money, but driving back and forth, the gas and the travel expenses. And that's something else people don't think about. So, you know, there are so many factors that go into fertility costs. The medicine, the me- uh, a lot of it is not covered by insurance. So I think I was spending around over $1,000 on just the medicine. Something else to really think about. Wow. So, I mean, I know you were doing a lot of research and I don't want to say fighting, discussing with the billing departments. Did you like how much research did you do in terms of what it would cost you or the types of procedures that you would have to do before you decided to do all of this? Right. So yeah, I had done some research in terms of understanding what is the average cost for IVF versus IUI, which is another option. But what we because what's so complicated about fertility treatments is that it really is all dependent on the couple who's undergoing it and what the issues are at the moment. So you know, and then what you also and and I can provide a step by step, you know, tips on what to look for. But what I realized is that when you're deciding which fertility treatment to do, you need to look at what are the total costs for each procedure, but then also what are the you know effective rate of those procedures. So mm-hmm. if you are a candidate for IUI and possibly IVF. But IVF costs more. Well, IVF has 
depending on your age as well, it gets complicated with this. Right. It has a higher success rate than IUI. IUI, which only has a success rate of maybe under 25%, you might have to do several rounds of that, which could add up. So you need to think about each of those and ask the clinic or the doctor or hospital that you're going to what their success rates are for each and where you fall based on your age and your circumstance. Now, when I mentioned to you the fact that I, I found that the going to the hospital was really complicated in terms of their billing structure, I actually ended up switching and going to a private clinic. And I found that that was the best thing I could have done for myself. I found a private clinic in Santa Barbara. So it was away from the crazy traffic and hustle bustle of LA. My sister lived in an apartment right across the street from this clinic. So I could go there and stay with her and go for long walks on the beach to clear my head. You Finding a way to emotionally support yourself during this time is so important. And they were upfront with the total cost of everything. So I didn't receive bills for each time I got pricked for blood work. It was a one flat fee. And oftentimes I find that these clinics are less expensive than hospitals. Wow. that's I love, I love so many aspects of what you said. Number one, that you found a way to get emotional support. I know walking by the beach, if, if people out there don't have that, maybe finding a coffee shop, whatever, like finding something because it, you know, number one, you're paying a lot for this, which is can be stressful enough. Right. And then number two, the, the emotional aspect of even trying to conceive is difficult enough and you have to deal with all the billing stuff. So that's really great that you found a place that was very clear and upfront. And hopefully for those out there who are even considering this or going through this, maybe that's something to consider is to switch to maybe a private clinic, like you said, or somewhere else that where you can focus more on the emotional aspect of conceiving, I guess, and just navigating all the finances. Because I can't imagine, like for me, if I were to even consider spending something like that without insurance, I probably would not be able to afford it. And I, I'm going to assume that some out, out there are like that too. So it's it can be very daunting, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, so I'm glad yes. you really said that. I mean, let's so yeah. in terms of the emotional side, let's let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about how your relationship was affected throughout these this whole six month process. Like, so you know, you had the the billing confusion. Of course, you were stressed, and I'm sure your husband didn't feel great that he had this challenge as well. So, like, what what was affected, and, and how did you both kind of come through that? Yeah, definitely. One last thing, I just wanted to comment on quickly about the financial aspect was mm-hmm. there. You know, there are sites that you can look up to compare the success rate of different fertility clinics in your area. And you just go to the cdc.gov website and they have a sheet for you to compare different options. And then, you know, just do your own research, ask questions, read online, look up case studies, equip yourself with the knowledge to make the most, the best decision for your finances and your body, basically. Um, now, what between our relationship and the effects of it on our relationship, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. I think as a female, you sometimes feel more motivation to, you know, stick to your plan, your fertility plan, where a man may not feel as dedicated to it. Or, or I mean, they do. And that's so wrong for me to say, but you know, women are just so much more emotional. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through fertility treatments, and especially if you have to take certain medication that could 
mess with your hormones, you're going to be so much more emotional. And you might overlook the dedication that your husband or your partner has to the situation. And so, you know, that definitely can add to stress and strain, especially if you feel like you're constantly being defeated and nothing is working. So specifically, I remember at that two-year market, and there were things that were happening throughout where, you know, I was just upset and didn't feel like maybe he was doing everything he could, even though he was. I remember though, at the two-year mark, at that point, we kind of were like thinking about taking a break, but he had already had this surgery, which was supposed to improve sperm count and quality, which would take anywhere from three to six months for us to see the results. Well, at this point, it had been six months and he hadn't gone back to get tested to see where he was at because we kind of put a hold on any further fertility treatments until we knew if there was any improvement. And I was in New York at the time doing some holiday segments for my business, staying with my mother, visiting my friends who all had babies. So I was just, you know, stressed and strained as it was. And then being around little babies and feeling like I was never going to have that really took a toll on me emotionally. And I remember sitting in a car in the park, in a parking lot and I just, it was like my lowest point. I knew that my husband hadn't gotten followed up with his test. I was doing everything that I possibly could and just started thinking all the worst things. I started thinking, you know, are we maybe not meant to be? Is someone above giving us a bigger message that you can't have kids and this relationship isn't that because you guys aren't supposed to be together? I'm sure other people might have felt the same way. So just started doubting my ability to or the opportunity to ever have children, to ever have a family, things that I always dreamed and wanted for myself. And I just remember being at my rock bottom and crying. The ironic thing was two days later, I got a positive pregnancy test. (laughs) It was... I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget how I felt in that moment. And then I'll never forget how I felt when I got that first test. It's like, you know, obviously, you're going to be so excited when you first find out you're pregnant. But when you go through that emotional journey, it's even that much more rewarding. And I just felt like it also taught me a lot about myself. And yeah, I mean, there's just so much that went into it. And, you know, I think my husband and I grew stronger through the experience, even with all the ups and downs. Okay. So you mentioned you learned a lot about yourself through this experience. So what can you, what are some of the top things that you learned about yourself throughout this whole trial journey? (laughs) I think, you know, I'm a person who likes to be in control of everything. And sometimes there are things that are just out of your control and you can't be so obsessive and hard on yourself if you're not getting what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, this doesn't really talk to every uh, thing that you're going on in your life. But certainly, you know, when it comes to having a family and having children, it really isn't in your control to some degree. I mean, obviously, if you take the steps to, you know, improve your health and your eating and your sleeping and your stress, all of that does play a part in trying to conceive naturally. But um, learning to not be so stressed out and going with the flow is really something that I've been trying to work with on myself. I love that. So, so if, okay, if someone, so what I had experienced was that I had a friend who was going through very similar issues you were, and my husband and I were trying to get pregnant and we, we got pregnant pretty quickly. And so I felt a little bit, I don't want to say awkward. That's not the word I'm looking for. Like I felt almost bad because of mm-hmm. they were trying so hard. And it, for us, it was just, it happened within weeks. And so, it almost I almost didn't know how to navigate conversations because I didn't want to trigger anything. I didn't want to make her upset. I didn't want to feel like I was giving advice because I think at, at that point, if someone's so stressed trying to 
you know, go through for fertility treatments, et cetera, like that's the last thing that they want. So if if you were with, you know, for someone like me who's like, okay, how do I make sure that I'm still sensitive yet, you know, not like I'm giving advice or how do I be a support for that person? Like what what would you say that someone could do in that situation? Yeah. And I think that that's such an important topic to address. I think it will definitely depend on the person who you're, you know, dealing with. But for me specifically, I actually felt angrier if I thought someone was feeling sorry for me, quote unquote. And I did have that same experience where it seemed like so many people around me, my best friends, uh, my sister-in-laws, they were all getting pregnant so easily and quickly that there were a lot of moments. And the more time that passed that we were unsuccessful in getting pregnant, the almost angrier I got when I would find out someone else was getting pregnant. And I hated that about myself. That was something else I learned. I, I tried to you know, not compare, which is so hard, but you can't compare yourself to other situations. So I think when it comes down to navigating the feelings of someone who might be going through a fertility treatment is to you know, don't hide anything from them because that they might feel worse about themselves then. But just be sensitive to it, you know, let them know that you're pregnant and maybe just, you know, acknowledge the fact that they may be having a hard time, but that you're there for support and that you, you know, you don't have to be over show too much of your emotions of, uh, that you're so excited. But if there's someone who's really close to you, they're going to be so happy and excited for you. At the end of the day, for me, I was excited for other people that I loved with they got pregnant easily because I wouldn't want anyone else to have to go through what I went through. Mm, I love that. That's really beautiful. Yeah, just a few last couple of questions, you know, as we're wrapping up. So I just kind of want to touch briefly back on the the money side of it again, because again, it's like it can be expensive. And if it doesn't work, like people may feel resentful that they paid that money. I mean, for you, like, how did you feel overall now that you've gone through this in terms of like spending, like you said, about $30,000 or maybe even more on this whole experience? Like, how did you like emotionally deal with it? Like, were you, were you happy with the money? Were you not like what, like, I guess, what was the overall experience for you? Right. So I mean, looking back at it, I kind of just touched on because there's so many technical and and medical terminology and things that could talk about. But when we were first getting our second opinions, we went to a urologist who specialized in male factor infertility. And then we went to a different IVF doctor. They both have different messages. The IVF doctor said, well, you could try the surgery. And there's uh, the 30% success rate, but it could take three to six months to see results. And then from there, you might have to do a fertility treatment and it could take you another couple of years to get pregnant. So obviously, she was putting me off on that course. And she said, you know, your fastest option is to do IVF and then maybe consider the surgery later for future pregnancies. Whereas the urologist said, this is proven to improve your, your quality of sperm and count and lead to a natural pregnancy. So I advise this course. So obviously, looking back, we could have saved a lot of money if we just went with the surgery to begin with, because that's what ended up helping us get pregnant. But I don't look at it as feeling frustrated or mad or you know upset that I spent that money, because I think it was all part of our journey. And maybe if we didn't spend that money, we wouldn't end up where we are today. And I wouldn't have my two and a half year old daughter, who is you know the light of my life. And so if I didn't spend that money, who knows where we would be at today? Everything kind of leads to where you are, I think. I love that. And one last question. How are you living beyond the dollar? 
Oh, gosh, you know, that's definitely a part of our everyday life. But I think we focus more on our experiences than spending money to have things in our life. So it's really important for me and my family to, you know, travel locally, explore different sites and nature, and really focus on spending time together and away from material things. Awesome. Andrea, again, thank you so much for sharing your story on Beyond the Dollar. Yeah, of course. And you know, if you have any listeners who kind of relating to my experience, I'm so excited and happy to help other people kind of navigate the journey. So they can always email me or find me on social media and I can try to help out. Yeah, sure. Can you let people know what your social media handles are so they can reach out to you directly? On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, it's really easy. You could just find me at Andrea Warrock or of course at andreawarrock.com. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I don't want to just dilute the conversation with Andrea and I, because again, it's such a meaty topic, (laughs) much like the one that I had with Daniel about estate planning. So if you haven't heard that one, that was another fairly intense, tear-jerking kind of episode, but again, much, much needed. So I just want to leave you with some parting thoughts instead of some questions. First, I just want to know that if you are going through something like this, that you are not alone. There are so many support groups. I am positive you can just do a Google search and find some. I'm sure that maybe even if you ask your health provider that they will have some insight into something like that. And just, you know, even if you found somebody to really share what's going on with you and hear stories of other people, you know, I hope that that is something that's very helpful. And even sharing tips. Like what Andrew shared about helping, not helping, sorry, really just her experience with dealing with the health insurance company, that in itself is very useful. I mean, unfortunately, she went through that, but you know, I know she knows that by sharing her story that it will help so many others. So even if you're not going through infertility or treatments or anything like that, but you do know somebody that does, I think one of the best things you can do is just to give them a shoulder to cry on, let them vent out their frustrations or emotions. I mean, don't feel like you have to give them advice, right? But if you can even just help them be seen and heard, I think that is, that's enough. And no matter what, if you, even if you're going through something equally as trying or challenging, it really is helpful to see where your finances are. And even before going through a big transition, you know, maybe look at your health insurance policy, see what's going on and review your beneficiaries, look at your last will and testament. And just to see if you can be as prepared as you can be for the future, right? You cannot predict the future, of course, but as long as you have your ducks in a row, if you have some cash set aside, let's say you're you know, quitting your job, moving, then that's really the best you can hope for. So, all right, now it's time to answer some of your questions about living beyond the dollar. Again, thank you so much for everyone who has responded in previous episodes. I'm still getting through a few comments and DMs on Instagram. So feel free to DM me questions or email me hello at beyond the dollar. So this segment is brought to you by Fabric. So as I mentioned in the intro to this episode, they have free products like Fabric Wills, which is a service product, sorry, you can use to create last will and testament. And then they have Fabric Vault, which is a way to share your financial information securely with families and loved ones. So check them out, meetfabric.com. And then Allison, who is a millennial money expert and the editorial of Meet, sorry, not Meet Fabric, Fabric, 
very kindly helped me answer today's question, which is from Derek. So thank you, Derek. Uh, so the question is, I really want to quit my job, but I still have some debt. Is there a way I can make this work? So thank you so much for asking this, Derek. Allison brought this up and I thought it was just a really great idea is to think about your debt payments as another one of your expenses. So whatever your budget is, just say, let's say you pay $1,000 a month of rent, $300 a month of food, and then maybe let's say $200 a month goes toward your debt payment. So once you know that, right, once you have that budget, you can then use that to create an emergency fund. So an emergency fund really is just money that you set aside in a savings account. You want to be able to access it in a pinch in case, let's say you quit your job, you're self-employed and money isn't coming in initially or your client is late paying you or you're quitting your job to go to another job and you lose it, whatever the emergency is or whatever the unexpected situation is, you can then dip into that fund. Now, especially if you are self-employed, a lot of experts recommend having six months worth of living expenses set aside, especially if you have a lot of, let's say, risk or your income is very unstable. Now, for me, I had about two years, which is a lot, but I also knew that I was going to quit my job eventually, quite a few years before I actually did. So I did end up saving that much. And I'm a very risk adverse person. You don't have to go as far as me, but six months is a good way to start, right? You know, as for wanting to quit your job and when to quit your job, that's really ultimately up to you. And when you feel, you know, I'm going to put this in air quotes, safe to do so, right? For some people, they are totally okay with, okay, I've got a couple months of an emergency fund. I've got a few clients. I'm ready to go. Or some people take a year, let's say, to save up, and then they decide to take a sabbatical. Like whatever your situation is, I would not only look at the numbers, but really look at emotionally what would make you feel like you're not going to stress out constantly, right? Now, it's impossible to not be stressed out ever, especially when you're quitting your job or going through something big like that. But find some way to create a sense of stability that you can kind of refer to when when you're facing something a bit unstable or, you know, air quote, risky. For me, when I, when I quit my job, the emergency fund was that stable, stable thing that whenever I felt stressed, I could just go and look at my bank account and say, all right, I got two years worth of living expenses. Even if my husband didn't have his job, we are covered. So that to me was, was what it was. So it, just, you know, dig deep, do some journaling, do whatever you need to do to figure out emotionally what you need to do to feel that sense of security. And then, of course, you want to have the money side as well. So, Derek, I hope that helps. And for anyone else, again, if you have any questions, comments, topic suggestions, guest suggestions, hit me up on Instagram at beyondthedollar or email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, 
be able to name your most important values and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome song. Thank you.